I want to talk this morning about perfect love that drives out fear. I want to circle back around and talk about fear some more today. Um, and um, want to just encourage us. These, these are times in which fear can really grip our souls based upon things going on in the world around us. On the other hand, there are other fears that tend to grip our souls based upon the way we've been programmed or the way we've been taught, or we could even use the word indoctrinated sometimes. Um, there is a, there's fear that comes from extrinsic stimuli, and there's fear that comes from intrinsic stuff within us and the way we think about God and the way we think about judgment, the way we think about reality. So John the Apostle, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he liked to refer to himself as that, in this fourth chapter of his first epistle, beginning at verse 17, has something to say to us. He, in this chapter, he's already begun talking about love. and He's already said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And anyone he who loves knows God and loves them. And if you don't know you don't love, you don't know God, for God is love. And uh, a little bit further down, this is what he says. He says, this is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. And he goes on in verse 18, he says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. There's a story about, this is a, a true historical figure. He was a professional thief. And his name stirred fear as the desert wind stirs tumbleweeds. On. This man terrorized the Wells Fargo stage line for 13 years. And in journals from San Francisco to New York, uh, his name became synonymous with fear and danger. D during this man's reign of terror between 1873 and 1885, he is credited with stealing the bags and the breath away from 29 different stagecoach crews. And this fearless bandito, if you will, did it all without firing a single shot. How could he do this? Well, his weapon was his reputation and his ammunition was his intimidating presence. And so he wore a black hood to hide his face and no victim ever saw him and no artist could ever sketch his features. And because of this, there was no sheriff that could ever track his trail. And this man never fired a shot. He never took a hostage simply because he didn't have to. His mere presence was enough to paralyze those protecting and guarding the treasures he stole. No one dared to challenge him because of his reputation. But you ask, who was this masked man? He was the infamous Black Bart. This hooded bandit with the most deadly of all weapons. And the weapon wasn't a Colt forty-five, neither a Smith or Wesson revolver. But the deadly weapon that he used to his advantage was fear. And so this morning, I want us to, to, to take another look at fear and how it paralyzes believers in Christ and prevents us from experiencing the, the abundant life and the, the friendship with God that we're offered in Christ. And so there are so many things that we, we fear, aren't there? We fear things like death. We fear 
failure. We, some of us are afraid of tomorrow and what that will bring. The list goes on and on. And the ultimate goal of the enemy, of, of Satan, the enemy of God, is to deceive and to pervert the truth in order to create cowardly, joyless disciples. Do you want to be one of those today? And Satan will use fear to shake us to the very foundation of our faith. And it's his desire to get us to take our eyes off of the goal of serving Christ and to get us to to settle for this dull existence in the world instead of the fullness of life that Christ has for us. And so we just talked about a man a few moments ago, and you remember I used this illustration to begin the message, this, this infamous and terrifying bandit named Black Bart. And so finally he was eventually caught, and guess what? It turns out that he really, really wasn't anything to be afraid of. Because when the hood came off, there was not this monster behind the mask. There was not this maniacal maniac uh, who was on the verge of killing everybody in his path. When the authorities finally uh, tracked him down, this wanted and much feared thief, they found they didn't find this bloodthirsty bandit from Death Valley. They found a mild-mannered man wearing wire-rimmed glasses who hated profanity. This man, whom the pictures had painted as storming through the mountains on horseback, was in reality so afraid of horses that he made his robberies on foot. (laughs) His name was Charles E. Bowles, and he's the bandit who never once fired a shot. Why? Because he never even needed to load his gun because he was terrified of guns. You see how sometimes, you see how sometimes, how toothless the enemy can be? And that's the way Satan is. We think of him as this impending figure who can inflict so much much havoc and wreak so much destruction in our lives. And when you unmask him, you realize he's not all that he's cracked up to be. He is not all of that, particularly in comparison with the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ, whom we serve. He who is in us, who's greater than he in the world. But let's ask ourselves this question this morning. Why is it that Christians like you and I can can read all about the wonderful promises we find in the Bible, but for some reason we just can't bring ourselves to truly believe that they apply to us. I mean, is it that we just don't see them as something real? Or is it that we somehow deep within ourselves feel that we're not worthy of God answering our prayers? Because with our words we say, I love and I trust God. But when we begin to go through difficult circumstances, in times of testing and trials, it seems as if our words betray us and all of our faith seems somehow to go out of the window. Can anyone relate to that? But as I, I, I think about this and look at it in light of the scripture we read today, that there, there's a number of ways that we as believers can view God in an inaccurate or wrong light from a wrong perspective or a skewed lens, if you will. And when we can't see God for who He is and for what He and only He can do, that that will lead us down the pathway of fear. Let's talk about some of the areas of fear that we may deal with. Number one is the fear of death and judgment. Now, there's a good kind of fear to have towards God. Would you agree with that? The Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, speaks of the the, the fear of the Lord. And in this context, the term, the fear of the Lord, as we see it in Scripture, it, it, it encompasses something we would describe as reverential awe and respect for God as creator and master of all things. But we also tend to have this 
nagging idea that uh, uh, we as, as, as God's children, as believers in Christ, that we, we need to constantly be fearful of God's judgment on our sin and on our lives. But if you read the New Testament carefully, you notice that the term, the fear of the Lord, is scarcely used in the New Testament. Now, there's obviously a sense of awe and reverence concerning God's presence. We saw it last week as Jesus stilled the storm in Mark 4, and it evoked on the part of the disciples who were there on the boat with him a sense of of fear because they saw the power of God up close and personal. And we understand that, but we don't hear that phrase as much in the New Testament because as believers under the New Covenant... The judgment for our sin has been removed by the gracious gift of God's forgiveness. Do you you believe that this morning? And if you believe that, are you glad about that today? And when the judgment is removed and when forgiveness is revealed, then the fear of God's judgment is taken away by what Christ has done for us on the cross. The fear of God's judgment. And so in 1 John 4, 17, one of the goals of God's love as perfected in our lives is this, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Or in the New King James, New King James Version, that we may have boldness in the day means that we stand before God as believers in Christ. We stand before the presence of God with absolutely no fear. Why? Because of Jesus and the forgiveness that He has brought into our lives, our sin has been taken away by Jesus' finished work on the cross. And notice the second part of verse 17. It says this, In this world we are like Jesus. Wow, what does that mean? means that God sees all true believers as righteous and as perfect as Jesus. Now you take a deep breath. Deal with it. Okay? Understand, God sees all true believers as righteous and as perfect as Jesus. The transaction was this. On the cross, Jesus took your sins in his body and God gave you and me in, in return as we placed our tra- trust and our faith and our hope in him. God gave us his righteousness. It's not just a removal of our sin, but it is the, the proper word is imputation or, or it is the crediting of the righteousness of Christ, Jesus' perfection to our account so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see us as sometimes the miserable, confused people that we see ourselves as. Amen. He sees us as righteous and perfect in Jesus. And so we don't have to fear judgment. Some of us as Christians are still too afraid of of death and still too afraid of of what lies beyond the grave because we fear that somehow, despite all of the songs we've sung and all of the sermons we've heard and all of the reassurances we've received, that somehow at the end of the the journey, God's going to say, well, you know what? There's this one thing I forgot to talk to you about that's unresolved. No, all of your sins have been paid. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Amen. So, that was was kind of of ripple to the audience. (laughs) Look at what he says. says, This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect 
in love. There was a great British preacher from the 19th century named C.H. Spurgeon, and he once said this. He said, Jesus himself has promised, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then he stated this. He said, Are you afraid to die? Does the grave alarm you? Do not fear, for you cannot die. In fact, we know that as believers, for us as Christians, as believers, death has been conquered. And we rest assured that even when our earthly body dies, we still live because Christ has obtained victory over death and the grave. Amen. Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And so if we trust in Jesus, there is nothing in heaven, nothing here on earth, nothing in the entire universe that we need to fear. Amen? Do you remember in the gospel of John when Lazarus died and Martha confronted Jesus that that he was late? And, you know, if you had got here on time, I know you could have have saved him if you had just shown up a little earlier, right? And Jesus says this to her. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus asked her the question, do you believe this? Well, this morning I want to say to you that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He who believes in him, though he or she may die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in Jesus will never die. And I would ask each one of us this morning, do you believe this? Jesus has made this promise that wherever he is, that we will be with him one day. And that's, and so whenever it might be when our earthly body dies and we go to be with him, or it may, may be on the day that he returns to this earth and comes to call all of his people home. But either way, we can rest assured and have full faith and confidence that when we place our faith and our trust in Jesus, we will not be disappointed. We have nothing to fear from this world or from our enemy, Satan. We have nothing to fear. There's another area of fear, and that is our fear of punishment from God. I mean, going a little further into the judgment we all fear, I, I want to share, share with you, if you're like a lot of us, maybe you've grown up be- believing that God was out to get you for anything wrong that you've done. Uh, we talked about this in Bible study. It, it comes up because we talk about the religious baggage that sometimes we've inherited, things that were foisted upon us. And so sometimes we, even, even though we preach the cross and we preach Christ and we preach forgiveness and we preach the Bible, we sometimes have grown up to believe that God is always lurking to get us for any mistake that we made or anything wrong that we've done. And if we commit a big enough sin, then, then we're doomed to end up lost. God will snatch your salvation from you. And, uh, and so even though you are a professed Christian and even though you still are reaching out and searching for God, there's nothing, there's no hope for you because you've blown it, because you've made uh, a big mistake. Now, is that a biblical truth? Is that a biblical concept? It is not, but many people are taught this from an early age by those who want to keep you in line, keep you in check, by those who have, sometimes have profound impact on our early lives. Sometimes maybe a parent who was critical or abusive in their discipline, or sometimes it may have come from a church or religious group that we grew up in. Sometimes that kind of thinking allows people to keep us in line, and they, they're trying to do us a favor by keeping, keeping fear over our heads so that we don't go outside the lines. But the problem is fear is never right and fear is never good. The fear of the Lord is good, but this is not the fear of the Lord. This is fear of punishment from God. And this fear negates what God has done for us on the cross. Uh, having grown up in, 
in, in, in Pentecostalism, uh, it was always held over my head that God was holy. I never heard a clear sermon on grace all the years I was growing up because no one could get up and say, we're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself, that is a gift of God, uh, not of works lest anyone should boast. But nobody could ever stop there. But you better do this, and you better not do this, and you better live holy, and you better because God is not playing with you. You know what I'm saying? You know, and God is not, he's a holy God who, because he's holy, he's not going to put up with your sin and you can lose your salvation at the drop of a hat. Some of you may have come from places where you, you made one mistake, you were out of the church or you were out of God's will, or you were lost or you were, you, God has given up on you. Oh, I'm so glad that that's not true because if that were the case, I wouldn't be here before you this morning, right? But you see, don't you understand that that's just the opposite of what Christ did on the cross? Because our, our sin cannot destroy our salvation because our salvation is not based upon our earned righteousness and our earned works, but our, our relationship, our salvation is based upon the mercy and the grace of Christ and the blood of Jesus and on the cross that destroyed our sin. And if our salvation was, was strong enough to overcome a lifetime of sin when we came to Christ, don't you think that it can handle one or two transgressions or maybe a handful or a few dozen after you've become a Christian? In fact, Jesus was adamant in telling his, fo- his followers this. He said, once you are in my hand, I will never let you go, and no one can take you out of my hand. Yeah, yeah. Now, sometimes we subconsciously or unconsciously project uh, uh, an abusive or sometimes maybe a critical parental figure or adult figure, maybe even a pastor, a mean guy like me, we project that onto our Heavenly Father and we end up with a distorted picture, a twisted picture of, of, our, of our, our Heavenly Father of God, right? And, and, and listen, let's, let's get this straight. Yes, God is against sin. Yes, God is holy and separate from sin. Yes, Jesus died to save us from sin. Yet, yes, God is, 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 is opposed to sin because sin is opposed to the good that he created us for. Sin has to do with that which 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 stands in the way between us realizing all that we were created to be uh, and, and, and bringing honor and glory to God versus dishonoring him and disobeying him. Sin represents a destructive force in our lives. It, it ne- will never work for good, but always for evil. And so, yes, God, God uh, is against sin. But, but understand this, that God, on the other hand, is not out to zap you for every mistake you make. And, and he's not eager to take back what he sacrificed his son to give you. And he doesn't have like, you know, pew, 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 pew. (laughs) Or lightning bolts, pew, pew. You know, lightning bolts coming out of, you know, no. Right? God is this truly loving father. This good, good father who wants to, his his main concern is that he wants to protect you from hurting yourself and others and to save you from the ultimate consequences of sin. But the fact is that no matter what you've ever done or what you fail to do, God loves you with an everlasting love. And, and we, can, we use this term unconditional. Now, there are conditions to receiving the love of God because my wife and I love each other unconditionally, but, but there, are, there are boundaries. But when I say God loves you with an everlasting and unconditional love, it means he loves you not because of, 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 of who you are and what you do. He loves you because he created you to love you. He loved you because he created you to be the object of his affection and his love. And, and he created all of this to demonstrate his love for us. And so what he wants 
is for us to come to him for forgiveness when we fail. And, and he wants to help us to live wholesome, meaningful, and loving lives. God is a loving Heavenly Father, and He really does desire to supply your needs. He really does have your best interests in mind. And even when He allows trials and tests to come into our lives, and He does, it's always what for our own good. Amen? So when we're saved and we know Christ as our Lord and Savior, we, we no longer have to fear death, and we no longer have to fear the eternal judgment of God. And then many of us fear that God may not be ultimately trustworthy and that he won't come through for us. This came out last week and we saw a glimpse of this in Jesus' relationship with the disciples as they were going across uh, the Sea of Galilee in that boat. And, and it was this, you know, Jesus, you know, Master, I mean, do, do you care? Do you care that we're taking on water and drowning here? And sometimes because of abandonment issues in our past, sometimes because we had people, significant people in our lives whom we could not rely on, Sometimes we tend to think of God in the same way. Uh, sometimes we may be f- afraid to fully surrender our lives and to fully trust Him with our lives because maybe no one else in our lives has ever been truly and completely trustworthy. Maybe it may seem that in your life everyone has always let you down. And then we project that back onto our Heavenly Father fear that he won't be trustworthy, that he won't come through for us, that he won't be there for us, that he won't help us. I want, I want to point you to a word of, of uh, I want, I want to, first of all, I want you to realize that the exact opposite is true of God. And, and let me point your attention to Psalm 2710. It says this, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. No matter who has been untrustworthy in your life, no matter matter who has not been there for you, no matter who has let you down, understand this, that God will never abuse you. God will never misuse you. God will never treat you in, in any inappropriate way. Think of God the Father as the most perfect Father you can ever imagine and then spend a lot of time with Him just getting to know Him. Amen. Others have fears based upon the sense of unworthiness of God's love. Uh, just as sometimes we've felt unworthy and unloved even as children or young people because maybe parents and family members who didn't, or even church communities that didn't model the love of God to us. But I want to encourage you this morning. God loves you, but you must learn to see yourself as God sees you. Which means you must learn to understand who you are in Christ Jesus. Amen? So, there's no shortcut to having a correct understanding of who God is or what He's like because this comes about through this process that the Apostle Paul writes about in Romans, the 12th chapter. When he tells his readers, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices holy and acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, which is, uh, uh, but, but be, be transformed, he says, by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. We need our minds renewed so that we can see God as the Scripture portrays Him and we can see Him as He really is. We need renewed minds so that we can move beyond fear into faith and 
to experience this renewal of mind that will take time and, and commitment on our parts, right? You know what? If you've got any degree of misinformation, if you've got any degree of, of distort, if you have any distorted views about God, it, it, guess what? It took years, right? It took years for the misinformation that you've accumulated in your mind, the mental baggage, to become so imprinted upon your mind. And so it will take effort, it will take time, it will take God to help you to replace that corrupted picture of God in our minds with the truth from God's Word. you hear what I'm saying? But every time you open up the Bible and read God's Word, think of it as a love letter from God. That it was sent in order to you, was sent to you in order to tell you how you can have a good and wholesome relationship with God. And our relationship with God is more than just a correct belief system, a correct system of doctrine. Jesus said that I'll say to many at judgment, he says, to some folks I will say, I never knew you. Yes, there are those who will say that they've said the right things, they've believed the right things, but these people, uh, and maybe they did many things for the Lord, but if all we have is a theology or a belief system, God wants for us to have a living, loving relationship with himself. Not just head knowledge, right? but heart knowledge. So going back to what we're talking about this morning, just knowing the Bible verses about the love of God doesn't necessarily change anything in your life. In fact, it can end up just being head knowledge, the stuff we say all the time. I know God loves, loves, loves me, but I behave and I think and I respond as if he doesn't. Because somewhere deep in my heart, I'm not to- totally convinced that he really does. And so what I say with my lips and what I what I ascend to is not what really guides my life and influences my choices. And so we need this hard knowledge and no amount of trying to force things from our head to our heart will ever bring us closer to Jesus. But it comes through a daily cultivation of a friendship with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Perfect love drives out fear and God wants to take the fear out of our relationship with him so that we can live boldly and with confidence. How many of you want that for your lives? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for the, that, that simple word reminding us that perfect love casts out, drives out fear. And reminding us this morning that you have loved us, not with an imperfect love. We try to love each other as imperfectly as we, as we are, as imperfect as we are. We try to love each other, and we do pretty good sometimes and sometimes not so well. But thank you this morning that your love for us is perfect love. There is no flaw in that love. There's no failure in that love. There is no fear in that love. So, Lord, we sit before your presence this morning in this moment, and we give thanks for the love of God. In the words of of John in the previous chapter, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. And that's indeed what we are. He says that's, that's why the world doesn't, know us because it didn't know him. So Lord, we thank you for this man, this love that you've lavished on us in Christ Jesus. God, we thank you that to know you is to know love because that is your nature. God is love. So Lord, as we move forward in this week, would you continue to, to displace that fear in our hearts with a deeper sense and awareness and realization of your love for each and every one of us. Thank you, Lord, that you, what you've given us, nobody can take from us. Thank you this morning that we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Thank you, O God, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. 
We thank you that our trials and tribulations can't separate us. Our sins and our failures can't separate us. Nothing in this world can separate us from the love of God that you have so freely lavished on us in Christ. So we go forward, Lord, Lord, with claiming the promise of this passage so that we may have boldness, not only in the day of judgment, that we may have boldness today and tomorrow morning getting up to go forth in life and to live knowing that, that you are with us and that, you're, that, you, that you, you're, you never leave us, you never forsake us. You tell us to cast all of our cares on you because you care intimately for us. And we thank you and praise you for that this morning. And Lord, if there's anyone who's dealing with fear or any of those things we talked about, Father, by the work of your Holy Spirit, would you just do a fresh work in their hearts this day in the name of Jesus. And help us, Lord, to spend precious time with you this weekend to get to know you better. In Jesus' name, we thank you and we praise you. And everyone said, amen. 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 God bless you.